advancing with faith, it really will call us to these moments where we're going to have to decide if we're going to break out of our boxes or stay in what we know and remain in what we feel most comfortable with. And I have to be honest with you, this is not something that um, naturally comes to me. It's not something I, I, I walk in every day without any resistance. In fact, my natural tendency is to shy away. My natural tendency is to make sure that I'm in the safest of places. I'm in a place where success is almost but a guarantee. And if anything calls me out of that, it, it's a dangerous path for me, at least in my own mind. And I was thinking of this uh, idea and this reality that God would challenge us in different ways and it brought me back to a moment when I was, a, I was around six, seven, or eight years old. It, it's a kind of a distant memory that I, I'm reminded of because of a picture that was taken that, unfortunately, you know, has been displaced somewhere. But I remember this one time. Uh, there was a season in my life, I remember six, seven, or eight, my parents had put me in uh, swimming courses, classes in the local swimming pool. And so I learned how to swim at, a, at an early age. And I remember just kind of holding against the, the wall and learning how to kick and float. And, and I remember putting myself, my head underwater for the first time and then learning how to go under and taking that risk and then coming out and breathing and uh, learning how to do the freestyle stroke. And then we went over to the deeper end, the fourth feet end. And so I remember learning how to tread water there and how to make sure that I could, you know, do that. And, um, and then we went to the deepest of ends, the 10-foot the area. And, and at that point, I had some really cool goggles in my mind. And so I could look underwater and see everything underneath me. And I remember having lifeguards around me and learning how to float and swim from one end to the other. And, and then there were, there's just kind of this moment where my classes were over and we had kind of some friends and camaraderie. And I just ran to the edge of the 10-foot side and jumped into the deep side of the pool and floating and swimming and just kind of having a lot of fun. And just around that time, my, par my parents were taking, we would take, you know, weekends away to uh, local lakes around here and we'd be able to have kind of a barbecue and, uh, you know, kind of sand games and all this with my friends and family and cousins. And um, I remember this one weekend after I had learned how to swim, my dad had decided, and I didn't know that at the time, but my dad had decided for whatever reason that this was the weekend I was going to swim in the deep part of the lake. And, you know, it was one thing for me to swim in the deep side of a pool where I could see everything and I could be assured that there, were, there wasn't anything that would be able to pull me or grab me or, you know, cause me to sink at all. And there was nothing but safety, but the lake was an altogether different matter. I, I couldn't see much of anything in the deep side of the lake. And so I remember feeling like, you know, I'm just going to stay on the shallow side. And so where the, where the waves lapped onto the shore, I stayed there and hung out with my, my dad and my friends and everything. And, and my dad just kind of came up to me casually and tried to lure me out and invited me, hey, let's go out swim. You know how to swim now. Let's go out to the, to the lake. And I said, no, dad, no. <laughs> No, that's not good. And, uh, and he was like, well, okay. And then we started playing catch, and we started, you know, diving into the water, and he started trying to throw it a little deeper. And so I, I didn't fall for that trick. Uh, I let the ball go, and I just was like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And, and he just kind of kept pressing me a little bit. And the more he pressed, the more I resisted because my fears started to take over. See, my imagination was uh, pretty active, and so I imagine if I can't see underneath, 
There must be things down there that will grab me, pull me, and yank me out, and, and that will be the end of me. And so I'd rather stay safe and alive. And so I remember just doing that and thinking that, and everything inside of me started getting more and more afraid. And so he started, let's do it. And I said, no. And I kind of just kind of dug in my seven-year-old heels and, no. He's like, okay, all right. Walked away. Let me hang out with my friends. My guard was down. A very, very awful mistake. And my dad, all of a sudden, after some time, I feel this arm grab me underneath, on my waist, pulls me up off the ground. I elevate, and I start moving towards the lake, but I'm not walking there. He is. And I start feeling anxious, and I start screaming out, no, this is, this is no, no. And I don't know what else I was saying, but I started screaming. I, I started doing what any seven-year-old would do. I used every breath in my lungs, and I started to create the biggest scene ever. He would regret this decision. <laughs> And so I start screaming and yelling. I start trying to loosen his arm, and I'm small, and his arms are not. And he's holding me strong, and we're going, and we're getting deeper and deeper. And at that point, I'm no longer just screaming. I'm full on crying. And, we're, and I'm kicking, and I'm getting out, and I'm realizing, oh, no, this is going to happen. This is happening. And I'm shouting and crying, and my mom decides, a Kodak moment. And so she takes a picture, and the picture, well, I remember it, it was of my dad laughing and of me crying and an image of life together. And I remember just going through that anxiety, and everything inside of me is just now at this point, I don't care who sees, who listens. I want out. I want freedom from this. And all of a sudden, past my screaming, I hear something of a whisper. And I hear beyond my screams and my shrieking and crying, and my kicking, a voice that says, I, I got you. I got you. Settle down. And it was my dad. And I remember hearing that. And my screaming started subsiding. And my crying started settling down. And I heard him. I, I have you. And now he's floating with me, treading water. I have you. We're OK. And I settled down. And I remember my dad then saying, look, you can do this. And there was this moment where we treaded water in the lake. And I don't remember how I got out of there, but I remember getting out of there as quick as possible. <laughs> but if you could see that image, if you could hear that yelling, kicking, crying, resisting, screaming voice inside of us, Anytime we're asked, we're invited, we're drawn to step out of the boxes we've limited ourselves to. I think we know that's inside of all of us. We may not express it the same way. We may not step into it in the same degree. But there is something inside of us that anytime we're asked to advance by faith outside of what we're most comfortable with, it is altogether terrifying. And yet... A life that is characterized by faith is not a life lived in boxes. It's a life that steps forward, that challenges, that, that seeks to expand and grow and lean and depend. And, and this struggle, this tension of what we're going to do in those moments of our lives when we're invited, when we're asked to step forward, that is the hinge point of whether or not we will live this out or not, and it is 
It is not easy. It is tremendously difficult. And the person we're about to look at, his name is Peter. This passage that we're going to look at, if you open up your handout, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Acts. And it's a passage in which Peter has to wrestle with some, some resistance within himself as to what God was asking of him. And for the sake of context, this account, is a, uh, this passage is a, a part of a larger account because um, just to explain some things. See, God was interested in the good news of Jesus spreading beyond people who were of the Jewish tradition and faith. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, sat with the disciples, called them together, and gave them what we have now come to know as the Great Commission. He asked them to go to all nations to spread his good news, to tell others of his name and of his teachings, of, of everything he represents. But that wasn't happening. What was happening is that Jesus' name was being known among other fellow Jewish believers. And so this way, this faith in Christ was largely seen as a segment of the Jewish faith. And God wanted to break it out. And since it wasn't happening, he decided to intervene. And so there's this man named Cornelius who is a Roman centurion, the farthest thing from a Jewish man. And Cornelius is a man who fears God, who reveres him. And in his prayers, an angel steps in and gives him a message and says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, and God is about to answer them. I want you to do something. First, I want you to get your messengers. I want you to send them to a town named Joppa. Find a man named Simon Peter. He is the carrier of this message. I want you to bring him back to your household because he has tremendous news for you. And so he does that. He sends his messengers. And Peter has no idea what's happening on the other side. But he is sitting in Joppa in the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. And we pick up together in verse 9 that the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, we're told that Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. And it was about noon. It was around lunchtime. And we're told that in verse 10, he was hungry. And they were preparing, but while a meal was being prepared, so everyone, you could get the sense that people were downstairs preparing a meal. Peter decides he's going to go off and be alone and decide to commit himself to some time of prayer in his hunger and in his situation. So we're told that just kind of matter-of-factly that he fell into a trance, a, a rather odd thing to put out there. But it leads us to believe that in his moment of prayer and in his time of, of intense focus, he becomes absorbed to a place where his imagination becomes a focal point of his consciousness. And in this place, we're told that in verse 11, he saw a vision of sorts. The sky opened up. And something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Which would cause Peter to have an immediate repulsive reaction. Because Peter was raised within a Jewish tradition in which certain animals and foods were to be avoided. They were considered unclean. And then there were other dietary laws and Levitical laws that would speak to what is of, uh, allowable for his dietary practice and for anybody that would share in the Jewish faith. And those would be things that we would now come to understand as kosher. They were clean acceptable, engageable. 
And so he sees this sheep come down, drop before him, and then a voice enters the scene, and we're told that in verse 13, then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. The very things he was raised to avoid, the very things that were known as unclean, as not to be engaged with, not to be seen as edible. And so... Peter's reaction is very understandable. I mean, in some ways, he reacts like we would expect him to react. And in other ways, we see that he understands more about this voice than we may realize. He says in verse 14, no, Lord. I know this is you, God. I know this is you, but, but this almost feels like a test. I, 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 I think I know what's going on here. See, I've been raised right. Now, I know the laws and the rules. I know how this goes. This is to be avoided. And your invitation to kill and eat this is, is kind of like you're, you're finding out, I understand, okay, pop quiz, okay, no, no, no. And, and then we're told that he goes on, he says, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. I've never done it, I won't do it, and won't start right now. Immediate resistance. Staying within what he knows. And we're told in verse 14, 15 something that is quite revealing to what God is actually putting his finger on. He says, it says here that the voice spoke again. And said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean, Peter. You see, what we now know that Peter didn't yet know is that God wasn't speaking about food. And God was talking about people. Because inside of Peter, there was an underlying resistance to embracing anyone outside the Jewish faith. There was an underlying fear. There was a perspective that held him, contained him, that said, anybody who is not a Jewish brother or sister is to be avoided. They, they are unclean. They are not kosher. And raised in this environment, raised in this outlook, raised in this paradigm, something was happening where God decided to step in and say, no, 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 what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection has so many implications. You are not currently living out. And he, God, is just putting his finger right on the tip of the box Peter needs to break out of. You need to see people differently. You know what? Stop calling these people unclean. The time to avoid them is gone. The time to engage is now. And Peter, like many of us, didn't get it. Because we're told in the next verse that what happened, that the same vision was repeated three times. Three times the sheet was lowered. Three times the animals were there. Three times the voice said, kill and eat. Three times Peter said, no, that's unclean. I'm not supposed to. I won't. And God three times says, Peter, things have changed. I want you to break out. Don't call this unclean. I want you to engage because I have made it clean. And Peter wrestles with this, and we're told in verse 17 that Peter was perplexed because why? The, the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven, and he's just sitting there with his thoughts, perplexed, confused, considering, wondering what this means. Why? Because the deepest parts of his belief system, the deepest parts of his perspective and his experience of who he is fundamentally were being shaken. 
And in this perplexity, we're told that he says, what could this vision mean? What does this mean? I know who spoke to me, yet why am I so heavily resisting? And just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. The, the messengers that Peter was unaware of found Simon's house, who were standing outside the gate, and they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying here. And is Simon Peter in this house? And right at the same time as people who God had moved on the other side of this account... As that is happening, and as people are asking for Simon Peter's, Peter also, in verse 19, we're told that meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over what this means, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. I want you to get up. I want you to go downstairs. I want you to go with them without hesitation. Don't worry. I'm the one who sent them. And in his uncertainty... And in his questions, Peter does just that. He goes downstairs, opens the door. Who are you and why are you here? And they tell him, uh, the master of our house, Cornelius, he had a vision. God said that you have a message for us. We've been sent to retrieve you. Will you go back with us? He's an honorable man who fears God. The local synagogues respect him. Will you come? And Peter invites him in and says, why don't you spend the night? The next day he gets some of his friends there and they all go together and they step into Cornelius' house. And all along the way, we get the sense that Peter is mulling over this call, this vision, this perplexing uh, challenge. And it doesn't totally become clear until he steps into Cornelius' house. And we're told that in Cornelius' house, he decides to give Cornelius an idea of what he's been wrestling over. And I asked him to put this up there. He, he goes ahead and he says to them, listen, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home. That is anyone outside of the Jewish faith. Like this, or even to associate with you. That is the box I've been raised in. That are the, those are the lines I've tried to abide by. And so you could almost sense Peter's discomfort, and yet he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure, impure or unclean. And he, you know, Peter, stepping out, breaking out of his box, you know what happens? Not only does Cornelius and his family accept the greatest gift ever offered to humanity. We look back in this moment, of Peter deciding to break out becomes the cataclysmic, cataclysmic moment, the hinge point in which the church turns its face towards the greater Roman world. And all people are invited to participate in what Jesus did. And we, you and I, sitting in the Lord's house are directly connected to Peter's decision to break out and not stay in. Peter's challenge was to view people differently. That was his box. In these closing moments, as we shift gears, I'd like us to consider what maybe God may be challenging us with. What may it look like for us to advance with faith? And so I'd like us to think about this. This is 
powerful, powerful account may have something of a word for us in our realities. And so I just would like to categorize this under the heading moving forward with God. And firstly, I'd like to say that moving forward with God requires us to challenge the ways we expect God to work in our lives. It really calls us to think about how we interpret God's activity in our lives. Because here's what I see in this passage. I see God's involvement in Peter's life not solving questions. It creates questions. It doesn't quiet down uncertainty. It flares up more uncertainty. And yet, clearly, God was speaking to him. But it didn't build uh, just a a, a desire in Peter to move forward immediately. It, It initially created resistance and something of a desire for Peter to say, No, I will not. I cannot. I'm not supposed to. And yet, it was the Lord speaking to him. See, what this says to me is that there may be some of us here who may view certain things as not God. And yet, they may be. Perhaps some of us have received or feel an impulse of an invitation to step into a need to, to, to take on some responsibility. And it does not look like an invitation. It looks like a threat. It looks like a threat because we know our weakness. And it threatens our sense of confidence and security. And we know that we have failed in the past and we may fail again. And so this is not inviting. This is actually quite, quite scary. Or maybe some of us are in a point in our lives where we are our expectations of what we're supposed to be living out and our our mental checklists of what we should have been accomplished already and what reality is aren't adding up. And yet we want God to make sure that reality matches up with our expectations and reality is God is right in the midst of what we're walking through. Maybe our situation in our minds is different than what God wants or what God is in. And he is in the question. And he is in the fear. And he is in the uncertainty. Maybe that is his avenue. See, God is not containable. He could use whatever he means necessary. He He could use whatever he desires in our life. And the reality is God is fully active. We may just not even know it. I'm reminded of this verse that uh, Paul, in the letter to the Romans, wrote. It's a great verse that I have drawn strength from, which says that we know that God causes everything, 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 everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. I wonder what situation, what conflict, what frustration we're currently walking through. We want deliverance from, and God is saying, no, no, that's my instrument for you right now. And secondly, I would say that God not only challenges us to think about how he works in our lives, see, moving forward with God will have points of confirmation along the way. And uh, this, is, this is supremely important because God certainly is not in the business of answering every single question before he asks us to step forward, to break out. But he's also not in the business of asking us to move forward blindly. 
Faith, advancing with faith, is not disconnected from reality. In fact, it's connected to his reality in our midst. And that takes an ability to be able to discern what he is doing, what he is saying, how he is leading us in something. And so when, when something beyond our sense, we, we, we must, can, can we hear this? We must look for something beyond our sense of his voice in our lives. There, there should be something of a confirming word. And this is where the relationships we surround ourselves with are supremely important. And the scriptures, they they put a high premium on biblical counsel. Not just wisdom, but counsel that is rooted in his word, backed by experience and tested faith. And so plugging into a small group of believers heading in the same direction, maybe with a couple people that are a little farther along, is actually sometimes just as important as the decisions we're about to make. And when we're examining our, our relational situations and we're examining our, maybe our career situations or whether or not we're supposed to stay in this or move to a different place or, or have some additional training, these questions that we wrestle with of how to solve certain issues and conflicts that we can't seem to pass up or can't seem to kind of move forward by the people that are informing us are crucial to our ability to advance and to break out if anything moving forward should add confidence to us Fear may not be removed before we move forward, but certainly by the time we arrive to the house, to the destination, to the place we're supposed to move towards, something of clarity should be hitting us. Oh, this, you know what? This is God. I may have not known at the very beginning. I took a faith step each step of the way, each step of the way. But along the way, something of confidence and confirmation started guiding me. And now I understand this is something of his. There is fruit in this. There is life in this. I see it, and other people are informing me. This is right for me. And it might be as simple as us wanting to serve in a certain capacity and maybe feeling disqualified or inadequate in any way. And our screaming and our resistance is too loud to hear the still small voice, but maybe it's not too loud to hear a friend who's telling us, oh, you're, you're right. You should step out. You should do this. See, God will not just ask us to go blindly. He will add points of confirmation along the way. There will be something of a sense that his hand is with us. And at the end of the day, it's not just about moving forward. It's, it's about really moving forward with God it requires us to break out of our comfort zones. Now, that's what we're talking about. Because, um, see, how can I put this? Um, a life of faith that is continually growing and expanding is never comfortable with comfort. It is never sedentary or still. If anything, it becomes comfortable with agility, being able to adapt, being able to be aware on the edge of our seat, God, what is it that you are asking of me this day, in this season of my life, right now, in this period of my life? What are you saying to me? Can I hear your voice? Uh, yes, it may bump up against my comfort zone, but I will go deeper with some friendships. I, I, I will have that conversation with my coworker. I, I will take a risk and post something. I will, I will step out. I will break out. Because here's, here's, here's at the end of the day what it says. It says, you know what? I'm going to trust, if you could hear this, I'm going to trust that the arm that is holding me is stronger than any current, any wave, 
anything that could rip me out of it. And God wants us to learn to swim in the deeper sides of life. To be okay with the knowledge that we are his. And if we understand this, he takes that way more seriously than we could ever imagine. See, we are able to break out of our boxes because he's the one who is never containable in any box. And really, at the end of the day, we're bumping up against ourselves with him. See, here's, here's the thing. Peter, Peter decided, I'm going to break out. And that decision led to a family accepting Christ, which led to an entire, entire explosion throughout the Roman Empire. I wonder how many now generations down the line we are now sitting, hearing and receiving and knowing inside of ourselves that Jesus truly is alive and he truly is able. He truly is able to heal and strengthen and inspire and encourage. He truly is able to contain us and hold us in the midst of our deeper sides of life, outside of our boxes that we long to stay in. See, because of Peter's decision, so many people were blessed. Now, here's the question. Who's waiting for us to break out of our boxes? What relationships, what families, what coworkers, what people in our lives are waiting for us to break out? Who is waiting for us to ultimately declare that we are his? And because we are, we will be defined by a life of dependency and of faith and of trust and increasing growth in our ability to break out, to not be contained, because God is not containable. In fact, the, the, the closing song we're going to be sharing in, in a minute as we receive our time of giving and the band's going to be coming up, it's called yours, and it's just on the inside of your handout. And I just love the first verse. It says, I, I give my heart up in my empty hands. And as I look, it's, it's like I see the sum of who I am. And then all my hopes all my dreams, all my thoughts and the things I love, all my sin, all my fear, all my sorries for the things I've done, you can have it all. It, it, all of it is yours. All of it is yours. May we declare that. May we live that. May we advance with faith. May we break out of our boxes. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the one who is able to hold us. I thank you that your arm is strong, stronger than any circumstance, stronger than any struggle, stronger than anything that would seek to bind us. You are able to make sure we are in your grip. And I pray that you would give us the ability to sense not only your presence, but inside of us, that our confidence in you and our security in you would lead to our ability to step out, to break out of our boxes. Yes, God, may we do it. We will break out. We will break out, God. We will step into those conversations. We will trust in you and move forward. May you help us declare it. May you help us live it, because at the end of the day, we are yours. We are yours. We are yours, and we long to be defined by your power, your presence, your spirit, your life. Your word, we long to be defined by the fact that you are the one who helps us advance. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.